Am I on? There we go. Thomas, it's going to be fine. The Chosen series this week uh, manages to weave Thomas into the story of the wedding of Cana in John chapter 2. Now in the scriptures, we don't know really how Doubting Thomas came to be a part of the Twelve. His story is left uh, untold, at least at that point in the story. But in this particular episode, I think they do a beautiful job of taking his personality, the witness to the greatest sign of all, the resurrection, remember, and putting him in this scene for the wedding of Cana. I think it's beautifully done, and it's so true to who, who Thomas was. In fact, each of the Gospels, the first time they mention Thomas is as in the list of the 12. We don't know how he got there, right? And so a bit of speculation uh, is necessary to figure that out. Now, we don't know that it happened this way, but this is a story beautifully told. Uh, all of the Gospels have him in the list of the disciples, but only John tells us anything more about Thomas. Thomas would be a completely silent, unexplored character of the Twelve if it weren't for John's Gospel. In John eleven sixteen, we find Thomas being the risk-inspective, almost sarcastic one of the disciples. Jesus has just left Jerusalem. He was almost stoned for the last things he was said there. And then he receives word that his friend Lazarus is sick unto death. And he says to his disciples, it's time for us to now go back to Jerusalem. And they say, Jerusalem? Don't you know they just tried to stone you there? What, what do we mean going back to Jerusalem? You'll die if you go back to Jerusalem. And Thomas says, well, let's all get up and go to Jerusalem and die with him. Mr. Sarcastic, Mr. Always Calculating the Cost. I've had some friends like Thomas, haven't you, that were, that were those risk-inspective types, always finding out what was wrong with an idea instead of what was right. I'm the kind of guy that always thinks, why not? But I've found there's balance in life having some people around me that say, but what if? What if? What if the people don't show? What if the money's not there? What if we're doing this too fast? Right? We have those people in our lives, and they're precious people because they all make us a little bit more careful. Thomas was that contribution, I think, to the twelve. Let us also go that we may die with him. Was that allegiance or sarcasm? Yes. Yes, I would think. In John 14, 5, Jesus is in the upper room and he's telling them, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were so, I would have told you. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way that I'm going. And Thomas says, we don't know the way. Well, what way? How do we get there? Thomas was the kind of guy that GPS was not enough. He would have had to have a map in hand. He was a guy that needed to know the plan. He needed to measure it twice and cut it once. He was that kind of a careful personality. Lord, we don't know the way. But because he said that, Jesus then said, I am the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. 
It's sometimes those who ask the questions that help us all hear the answers. If you're a doubter, if you're a person that has to think your way through to initiative, know that, that you have a place within the kingdom of God. Jesus chose Thomas that, that he might follow him. Lord, we don't know the way. Show us the way you're going. And then that most revealing passage about Thomas is in John chapter 20. Turn there with me, if you will, this morning. John chapter 20. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's appeared to the other 12 disciples, but Thomas was not there. <laughs> Somebody said he was out ordering lunch. Well, maybe so, if he was the kind of guy that was a caterer in this particular scene. All this kind of ties together. I think it's so true to who Thomas might have been. He wasn't there when the other disciples were visited by the Lord. And when he gets back and they say, we've seen the risen Lord, what does he say? I'm not going to be gullible. I'm not going to buy this. I want tangible proof. Unless I touch my hand in his side, I watched him die, and he was dead, dead, dead. Don't tell me. Don't tempt me to believe. Don't ask me to pay the emotional cost of buying into a, to a lie like that unless it's absolutely true, unless I know, unless I touch the scars in his side. Don't build my hopes up again. And then the next Sunday, Jesus appears in the room, and Jesus was there and listening to it all along. They just couldn't see him. He's always there. Thomas, he says, come touch the scars. My Lord, my God, he falls at his feet, realizes that Christ is alive. He's seen the, sign, the most important <clears throat> sign of all the Gospels, Thomas is the witness to the sign of the resurrection and perhaps one of the most credible witnesses to it because he's the one that most doubted it. He had to touch him. I'm so glad Thomas was in the bunch. The Thomas in me is so thankful for Thomas. Right? That, that part of me that finds it hard to risk and, and hard to trust that wants to see the signs and believe the way those first eyewitnesses believed. To follow Jesus as they did. And that's really why they wrote these, isn't it? Look at John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, that means the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore were saying to him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side I will not believe and after eight days again his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them Jesus came and the doors having been shut he stood in their midst and said peace be with you and then he said to Thomas reach here your fingers and uh, and see my hands and Reach here your hand and put it in my side, and be not unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. And who are those? That's all of us. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believed. But how do we see? We see because they saw. And because they, as eyewitnesses, have told us the story. We see through their eyes, their testimony, 
The Holy Spirit empowered them to be witnesses, and we, we are witnesses as they are witnesses. Others see the signs as well. Thomas. I think he's portrayed so accurately here. How can we believe? It says, verse 30, many other signs. That's an important word this morning, a sign. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples. Signs like turning the water into wine. Signs like the miraculous catch. Signs like Jesus knowing her name, Mary he calls her, and, and, and frees her of demons that no one else could, could relinquish her of. Signs. Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing, believing you may have life in his name. Life. To see a sign and believe is to receive life in Jesus' name. Thomas is faced with what to do when he sees this sign. Should he risk all that he can count on, all that he can calculate, all that he can manage? Should he risk that life that's within his to grasp and to hold and to control? Or will he relinquish that life and surrender it to find life following Jesus? That's where the signs bring us. In Acts 1.13, we find out that this, this Thomas... This Thomas that was witness to the resurrection and perhaps could have been a witness as the chosen depicts it to that first sign, which is the wedding, the turning, the wedding gift, the turning of the water into wine. He, he's still with the disciples. Even after this resurrection experience in Acts 1.13, he's in the upper room. When the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them to be witnesses, to tell this story of what they've seen, what they've believed. And he becomes a witness. Do you realize that Thomas was the witness? The doubter, the one that was slowest to get on board, was the one who went the farthest with the Lord. Catholic traditions hold that, that Thomas went as far as China. We know for certain that he went as far as India. He started off in Babylon going east, and everywhere he went, Thomas was prolific in planting churches. He was leaving witnesses to witness to these signs that others might still believe. That's what Thomas became. Thomas the doubter. Thomas the one that always has questions. Thomas that was always measuring, always counting. You know, and other people like that? Could you be a person like that? You know, sometimes it's ones that, that question the most rigorously, that hold tightest to the answers that they receive. All of us, in some ways, oh, 
That's okay. We didn't need that, apparently. Thank you, Kencher. Maybe we did. Thank you, Carlos. There are two ways, Gaston Foote says in his book, where he talks about Thomas. He says, there are two ways whereby men come to possess Christian faith. One, he says, is through inheritance. The second-hand faith we receive from our parents. We express this type of faith when we say, we're Methodists, or Baptists, or Catholics, because our parents were before us. It is, in substance, a, a borrowed faith, not essentially our own. It often fits us as poorly as a borrowed garment. But faith never becomes a dependable, working faith until it takes form in the crucible of our own experiences. Prayer is never really meaningful until it's desperation. In desperation, we prostrate ourselves before God and feel His resurgent power in our lives. Forgiveness is never more than a word. A word in a dictionary until we experience God's cleansing power from guilt of sin. Christ is no more than a revered figure in history until we feel His presence in our own hearts. Faith, in, if inherited, if inherited is just a puzzle. It's a problem to solve. It's something to figure out. But when it becomes personally our faith, it becomes a power by which to live. Men who possess a reliable, practical faith are always those who, despite doubt and discouragement, put up a fight for faith. E. Stanley Jones one of the greatest missionaries ever known to India had a dark night of the soul. He returned home, his health was gone, and then God restored him, and he became one of the most powerful evangelists ever. Harry Emerson Fosdick had those moments where he doubted. He said in college, when he was a sophomore, that wild horses could not have dragged him to church. Then, he says, I began to doubt my doubts. I begin to doubt my doubts. That, that, that's where the questioning mind finally gives up. We're, we're not the cool critic doubting our doubts and spectating from afar and saying, you know, God, impress me. But, but, but when we've followed our doubts to deeper questions and to deeper answers, and we discovered that Christ is more real than our doubts are reliable. <laughs> and and there's, a, there's a shifting in the soul, and we who have doubted become those that are that much more devoted because we asked the question before we found the answer. We own it. Harry Emerson Fosdick was one of the finest preachers of generations before he was a pastor in, in New York City. And a fellow pastor came to him in the Riverside Church in New York. He was completely distraught. He had lost his faith. He was brokenhearted. The man asked for time with Fosdick, and Fosdick understood his situation. And because of his great empathy for those who struggle like that, like he himself had struggled, he gave him two hours of his time that afternoon the man walked out of his office a different person. There was light in his eyes again and hope in his heart again. 
And he said, what a wonderful man. When I entered that room just a while ago, every star in my sky had fallen. And now he has put every one of them back in its place again. Because Fosdick had to fight to keep his stars of faith and hope in his own sky. He was able, under God, to put them back into the skies of other people. That's what Thomas did. Not just in Jerusalem or Judea, but all the way to the ends of the earth. He became a witness. And what an incredible witness he was. What if he had? What, what, what if he had experienced that, that first sign? How would have it affected him? It seems that everyone in this series is seeing signs and trying to figure out how to respond to them, right? Mary heard him call her name, and, and now she has followed him. And in this, in this particular episode, she says she's come to trust him so much that she doesn't worry so much anymore about what she'll be spending the night or her, how her needs will be taken care of. She's come to trust Jesus because she's followed him a little bit longer than some of the rest of the man. Peter, Simon, has, has just jumped in the boat, so to speak. When all those fish jumped into his, he decided to follow after Jesus. And now he is beginning to learn the pace of, of trusting him. He saw a sign. He was willing to follow. But like Jesus says, it's they who do the will of the Father who will know. Isn't that true? I'm not just talking about that point in our lives where we believe and we see a sign and we first become a Christian. Isn't it true that as we follow Christ, we discover how much more reliable He is as we take that journey with Him? Amen. That along the way, we become more and more convinced that He is a God that is faithful in whom we can trust. And the disciples did that too. If you're at that place this morning where, where you're just considering Christ or, or, or you're hoping perhaps that, that, that this is real and it might make a difference in your life, then maybe you, like Thomas, in this particular series, when he came to that place that, that he wasn't sure that he could trust this Jesus, Jesus just said, keep watching. Keep watching, follow him, serve him. It's they who do the will of the Father who will know. It's them that follow him, that become like him. What do you do when you see a sign? Even if it's a sign that we see through others' testimony, what would you do? What would Thomas do? Here's the next clip. They've run out of wine. But it's only the first day. Yes, and it's all gone. Not a drop left. Why are you telling me this? We can't let the celebration end like this. And the Etcher's family humiliated. Boys, uh, go join the others. I'll be right there. Mm.
दोबारा वही दर्ज हो Fill these jars with water. I'm not sure you heard her clearly, but we've run out of wine, not water. These are similar in size to your amphorae. The prudent marks, yes. Equally filled all the way to the brim. You're a very responsible person, aren't you? We are in a crisis, and I was led to understand you have a solution. Do you know why jars for purification rites are made of stone? What? You hurt me. Because the stone is pure. Less likely to stain or break. That can't be made unclean. Yes. Fill these jars with water all the way to the brim. Why? You heard him. Start drawing water, quickly. Tell anyone you find to stop what they're doing and help. From the directions you have provided, I see no logical solution to the problem. It's going to be like that sometimes, Thomas. What did you say? I do not rebuke you. It's good to ask questions, to seek understanding. There's no time for this. I know of a man like you in Capernaum, always counting, always measuring. That's my job. And the people will think I have not done well tonight. Join me, and I will show you a new way to count and measure, a different way of seeing time. Go with you where? I, I don't understand. Keep watching. Keep watching. Keep watching. It's not in the original scriptures, but what, what an intriguing thing Jesus says to him. I'll show you a new way of counting, a new way of measuring. When you see a sign of Jesus and know that it points to him and you believe in him, does it change the way you measure things? Does it change the way you perceive time? Can you still be careful, but when you're careful, it brings you out at a whole different place than it brought you out before? Here it is in the scriptures. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what do you have to do? What do I have to do with you? My, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. 
Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. There he is. The maitre d'. And they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know from where it came, but the servants who had drawn the water, the servants knew. The head waiter called for the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when men have drunk freely, then that which is poor, the cheap stuff, they, they, they keep the good wine uh, then they serve what's cheaper, but when people's senses are dull, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of Jesus' signs he did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Wow. What if somebody like Doubting Thomas had been one of those servants? Well, if you're following him, if you're doing what he said, you have a ringside seat to watch Jesus come through, don't you? Now, this, this is kind of a private, public miracle. Some of the people knew where the wine came from, but only those who did knew that the wine, that the water had even turned to wine, much less that Jesus had been the one who had done it. There's some things that those who have only chosen to follow Jesus can have fully revealed to them because they anticipate his movement. They understand. They pray the prayers that he then responds to. There's an insider's point of view once you're following Jesus. And in this particular depiction in The Chosen, it gives Matthew that point of view. But it also, if we're re reading the waiting of Cana in John chapter 2, it gives us that point of view. We behold the sign. What do you do with this Jesus? This Jesus that, that loves his mother so, that cares for others so, that he is willing to turn water into wine in order to save the honor of the family that might be otherwise humiliated. What an incredibly compassionate human move this is on Jesus' part to turn the water into wine. I don't understand how you're calculating this, Jesus. I don't know how following you is going to make a richer life for me instead of a poorer life for me. It seems that all that you do is ask of your disciples and ask of your disciples, and I'm not sure I want to pay that price and follow after you. What's in it for me? Are you that kind of calculator? Thomas, always counting, always measuring. This doesn't add up to me, Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, Thomas, it's going to be that way sometimes. Sometimes after you've calculated and you've thought it through, you're still going to have to trust me with the gaps. With what happens between the time that they dip up the water out of the, out of the, 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 the vessels and take it to the head, maitre d', there's going to be moments where breathlessly you have to wait for me to come through. A different way of measuring time. Is that possible? 
If you've traded your life for the life, everything changes. How you measure. Well, let's see. What, what, what's the way that's going to be most careful? Was Thomas's big decision whether or not he could count the cost of what it would mean to follow Jesus? Or was Thomas's big decision whether or not he could count the cost of what it would mean not to? Did he come to believe in him so much that he could then count what was on the other side of that, what he might miss out on should he not choose to follow Jesus wholeheartedly? If he's really with his life going to measure twice and cut once, have you considered that? Not what it'll cost you if you follow Jesus, but what it'll cost you if you don't. What you might miss out on. Yeah, you, you, you may end up surrendering some of your life to Christ, but the great thing is, is you get Christ's life in return. The life that only He can provide is a partner through it. A, a different way of looking at time, isn't that what Ephesians talks about? Ephesians. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Careful? Careful, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Well, if the days are evil and you're a Christian, does that sound familiar? If the days are evil, then, then what should we be doing as Christians? Should we be cloistering ourselves away? Should we be hiding from the difficulties that are out there? Or should we be seeing this time as the time of a great awakening and the time by which we, our witness can make a difference in the darkness? Why not be inviting our neighbors over to home team that they too might be saved? Why not be talking to the Christian businessmen in town? Why not be having another men's meeting? Why not be doing everything we can do to make an eternal difference with what little time we might have left? Do you understand that when you're careful and you've seen the sign, you calculate completely differently? What would Thomas do? What would Thomas do when he knows that Jesus is the one who can turn water into wine? Let's watch it as it happens. Was your father a stonemason as well? Smith. I think it broke his heart, but... I apprenticed under a stone cutter when I was nine. Every man must leave his father. Masonry seems like harder work. <laughs> it isn't harder, it's just more uh, final. If the smith wants to change the horseshoe or the plowshare or the pot hook, he has only to put the iron back into the fire and reshape it to fit his designs. Therefore, the... Everyone, please step outside. Just for a moment, Thomas. 
Once you make that first cut into the stone, it can't be undone. It sets in motion a series of choices. What used to be a shapeless block of limestone or granite begins its long journey of transformation. And it will never be the same. Some out and serve it to the master of the banquet. disciples saw the sign and it says in John that they believed in him they believed in him they decided to trust it and they proved that first inclination of trust by by following him Thomas was was stunned. What had he just seen? What had just happened? You ever known that stunned moment when you heard somebody else's story, what Jesus had done in their life? And you wondered if that could be true for you. When there's your buddy standing before you, you know how he used to be. <laughs> And you see how he is now. You, you've seen the ordinary water turned into wine. Well, when you see the sign, what are you going to do? Are you going to believe it or are you going to trust it yourself? Are you going to be willing to follow him even though all your answers are, are, are not given up front? Thomas Thomas knows why stone pots are used for purification. Thomas knows a lot of things. Thomas is used to depending on his intellect. He's used to depending on his reason. He's used to finding his own answers, but he doesn't know how water turned to wine. That blows him away. But, but, but like Peter and like Nicodemus and like Mary, he cannot unsee this miracle. What do we do when, when we see a sign of God having worked certainly in someone else's life? 
These were written that these signs, these stories were written that you might believe and believing have life in his name. What, what, what do you do when the old way of measuring and calculating doesn't get you there? What did Thomas do? Let's look. Should be it for the night. Who is he? I can't pretend I didn't see a miracle. He gave us even more than we need. He invited me to join him. He wants us to meet him in Samaria. In 12 days. Samaria. I don't know what you think. So don't. Maybe for once in your life, don't think. don't know what to think, Thomas said. Don't you love her response? <laughs> then don't. Then don't. For us careful calculating types, there comes a place where if we depend completely on our mind, we get absolutely paralyzed on this side of choosing to follow Jesus. There's times when we've done enough thinking it becomes time to do some trusting. There's times when we've done enough thinking and it becomes time to do some living. There's times when thinking is not the answer. When responding is. You can still be careful. But be careful like Thomas was, one who had seen a sign, one who had been given a picture of who Jesus is and who Jesus could be in his life. It's going to be this way, Thomas. Sometimes it won't be added up. I won't be able to give you a, a map of how this is all going to work out. But if you trust me, you'll get the life that you get when you walk with me, not the life that you get when you don't. It's that simple. I don't know what to think. Well, maybe now isn't a time to think. Maybe now is a time to respond. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, all of us may be at different places on this journey, just like all the characters in this series are. 
Some may be trusting you for the first time. Some of us may be trusting you for the thousandth time. And all of us may still be paralyzed on this side of taking the next step. But Lord, remind us the question is not, what is it? It's who is he? Who is he that calls us to follow? And these signs were written that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has called us and that believing we may have life in his name. So God, I, I thank you that these altars are open for all those who are ready to move past the thinking point of where they are right now and respond this morning to you. To follow you more nearly. To love you more dearly. To entrust ourselves to you all over again. Father, help us to move past our doubts to the dedication. Help us to see the sign like they saw the signs and like we see the signs through them as they as eyewitnesses. Tell us of your miracles, your power, your identity. It all points to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to realize whatever it is we still cling to is robbing us of the treasure of you. It's a bad deal. It's a bad deal, and right now we lay it all down. We lay it all down that we might follow you more fully. Maybe it's not time to think. Maybe it's time to respond. This altar is open to you, and it's Jesus that calls you to it. And from this altar to follow him wherever he leads. What's your response this morning? Yes? Or no? You can't unsee this Jesus. What are you going to do with that invitation? Make your choice as we sing.